love the fact that we get to sing those words that Savior worthy of honor and, and glory. I love the fact that we get to sing that you overcame. Uh, if you have your Bibles today, let's go ahead and open them up. Matthew chapter 23. Uh, Matthew 23. We, we jumped in, uh, stepped into 23 last week by attempting to, to make much of Jesus and then at the same time, uh, pay attention as he's using some very difficult words uh, really against the Pharisees and the scribes as a way of getting them to reflect on their own hearts. And, and this has been the focus, really, uh, I was thinking about this week, this has kind of been the focus for the last couple of chapters as we've walked through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, that Jesus, in almost not a desperate way, but a very real, uh, impactful way, is coming into the Jewish leadership's lives and saying, hey, you need to explore your heart. Uh, you need to be very aware, not of necessarily the steps you are taking, but your motivations for doing so. And, and we said it's easy. We said this last week because, because ultimately the, the challenge is uh, they are masking their religious activity for a way of exalting themselves, especially over others. And, and we said it's, it's really easy in life. In fact, it's one of the easiest things to do is to see a snapshot of a person's life and immediately form a, a judgment on it. Uh, either you look at them and you say, well, they're idiots, I need to not do that. Or you say, oh, they're saints, I need to do every bit of that. And, uh, and so what we're trying to do is pay attention to the Holy Spirit as... Uh, as Jesus is helping us here know the best paths to take to avoid really hypocrisy in our lives. I mean, if, if we're honest, no one aspires in their life to be a hypocrite, right? Uh, you're never like, you know, I think today's a good day to uh, say one thing but live a completely different path, right? Uh, nobody actually sets out to do that, and this is what Jesus is is really pressing in through these chapters. Is like you can't you can't walk and honor God in a hypocritical way, and and so he's helping us try to avoid that. And, and it's, it's one thing in our lives to say that we have certain values. It's another thing to put those values into practice. And this is at the core of the issue uh, that, that the Pharisees and the scribes specifically in chapter 23 is that they've pledged their allegiance to God, but they're striving to build a kingdom for themselves. And Jesus, in his very loving mercy, okay, uh, his very loving, it's a very loving act that Jesus performs here. Uh, is he comes in with some very hard words for them to ponder, but really what he's pressing in on their hearts is to repent, is to turn away from uh, these activities. And he's been telling the leadership for a few chapters the dangers of their fruitless spiritual lives. And they would look and say, no, 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 we, we are fruitful. We have tons of fruit. Look, in fact, we have juicy fruit. Uh, get it? It's a, it's a, it's a gum joke. Uh, y'all are welcome. Like, nobody thought I could put that one in, but I did. Uh, and so, but, but now what he brings are some of his most, most critical words to really anybody to hear. And, and so instead of standing behind Jesus, this is what we've decided, our posture is instead of standing behind Jesus as he confronts the scribes and the Pharisees saying, yeah, you get them, you get them, you tell them, right? Instead of doing that, what we've tried to do is we're approaching these verses by asking the Holy Spirit to reveal in our hearts possible places where we are deceived ourselves. Uh, where either we have been taught something that wasn't true, or we have led ourselves to believe something that is very false. And, 
And so, in fact, what we want to do is know in our lives where repentance is necessary so that we could walk in the full light of the love of Jesus and that we would walk in uh, in, in the light of the gospel. And so this, this may seem like a tough task, but let me tell you why this is important. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, Paul will look at us and he will say uh, that, that you are to live your life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Uh, not, not that you can attain it, not that you can earn it, uh, but that as you walk and change because of Jesus, your life would reflect that and you would walk in a worthy manner. So that's, that's what we're trying to do. Let's, let's pray and then we'll keep going. Father, we come to you. We are very thankful that as we get to worship you through song, that you respond to that, but not just not that you just take that praise on, but that you sing over us, that you love us, that you are so incredibly powerful and yet so intimate. And we pray over these next few minutes that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that he would reveal to us uh, areas of our lives as we ask some questions, that he would reveal to us the importance of living purely for you and pursuing holiness. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. That's good. That's a good amen. It's kind of very spiritual. Um, okay, so, so we asked four questions last week. And as we walk through the first 12 verses, and, uh, and again, it's a way of exploring the intentions of our hearts. And, and let me just give them to you. They're in your talk notes, but I mean, uh, let, me, let me just give them to you. The first question that we asked was, do I fail to practice what I preach? Uh, do I fail to put into practice what I preach? Number two, am I content with the approval of God? Remember, uh, Jesus is speaking to a group of people that love the praise of man. Uh, they love the best seats. They love the greetings in the marketplace. They love people saying, hey, Rabbi, you're here. And they love that acknowledgement. And we said, what really is at play there is that they're not content with just being known as a child of God. Uh, and so, so we've had to ask that question, am I content with just being known by God and being loved by Him? Or do I seek other uh, forms of appreciation and exaltation? And then number three, do I... Uh, Attempt to assert my superiority over others. Now, we would never say it that way, right? Because we know better. We've been trained to put on a certain mask relationally that, oh, I'm not, I'm not above anybody. But again, the actions and the intents of your heart. Uh, do you, self, for instance, do you celebrate when other people that you believe are beneath you um, don't win? Uh, or, that, better yet, when you win over other people? Uh, you're like, yeah, take that. Okay. Uh, not out loud, just in your heart, right? Uh, number four. Do I humbly serve others, or am I hypocritically centered on myself? Do I try to manipulate so many avenues in my life just to the benefit of me? And and we should, again, we should try to avoid answering these questions very quickly uh, in fear our, our pride would further blind us to our actions. Uh, that my prayer for you this week has been that you would chew on them. You would really ask, you know, God, reveal in my heart where these things are true and help me see uh, the falseness of them. And so the Pharisees, again, they are very devout people. We want to try to make them uh, like uh, the enemies in the story of God, and they're not. These are men who are very devout, uh, and it seems that they truly believed that their lives were pleasing to God. That that's what they were striving uh, to do. And it's, it's not like they sat around and decided in some team meeting, hey, let's just take advantage of other people. It's so much more fun that way. 
they, they don't do that. What happens is very subtly they make decisions. They, they didn't just leap into this. Very subtly they make these decisions where all of a sudden, instead of it being about others and the glory of God, it became about self and the exaltation of their own little kingdoms. And, and so, uh, so what we find in verse 13 is a transition of sorts. Uh, where Jesus spent chapter, uh, verses 1 through 12 talking about the Pharisees. Now he's going to talk to them. Uh, in fact, he's going to have some of his most critical words. He's going to say a word uh, seven times. He's going to say, whoa, to you. Uh, not like, whoa, but whoa. It is, it is a form of indictment. Uh, it is a, uh, a form of judgment to them. In fact, it's a point of great distress that should have been avoided. Now, the beauty for us, this is the beautiful thing for us, is that we don't... They're living this in real time. We get to see this through hindsight. So for us, if we're going to see, if we end up being like them, it's because we haven't taken the advice of these moments. Uh, and so when he says, whoa, these are very serious things. And, uh, and so there's a lot of different ways to group the seven woes that we see here uh, for the purpose of our time together this morning. We're going to group the first six in, in three sets of two. Uh, and in each grouping, we're going to ask a question. Uh, and so let's let's go. And then this is all going to build towards the final woe. Uh, and so uh, verse 13. Jesus says this to the Pharisees and the scribes. Okay, these guys haven't left town just yet. Um, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, uh, hypocrites. Okay, and he, exclamation point. Okay, so he's not like, hey guys, you're not hypocrites. No, no. He's casting a judgment on them. He says, he says woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourself, nor you allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. Uh, but when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. And you're like, oh, I thought Jesus was just this nice, cuddly, like, care bear kind of picture. No, no, no. He is very direct, Okay. Very direct. And so, so the question we're going to ask here, and that I'm going to propose for you to ask to yourself, is am I hindering people from seeing God? Am I hindering people from seeing God? This is the crux of what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing. They were keeping people out of the kingdom of heaven, uh, sometimes very intentionally. Sometimes they came in and they said, hey, you don't look like us, so therefore you need to go somewhere else. Okay? Not that we've ever done that in the church in general, right? Uh, we've very much advanced from that world. And then sometimes they just did it very unintentionally. Um, in fact, but, but don't miss their sincerity in their actions. Verse 15, Jesus says, You travel across uh, land, sea and land to make a single proselyte. Uh, and so, so they, they were giving their lives to the spread of a message that they believed was right. Uh, but in the process, they were hindering people's salvation. He says, listen, those guys that you're converting, okay, those people you're converting, they're twice as much the children of hell as you are. Okay? So they're, they're taking your dysfunction, and then they're adding to it. And now what we've seen are these generations of people who have done what was supposed to be very purely in just pursuing God and made it something else. And so, uh, and so, so the question is, can this be true of us? Right? Uh, and I think there are a few ways this can play out, but there's really just one in particular that I think rises to the top uh, that, that we can 
we can mislead people. We can hinder people from seeing the true heart of the Father. Um, anytime we want to distort the gospel and make it something it was never intended to be. Anytime you take, this is what God wants in your life, and you distort it into something that, that it wasn't intended to be. There's a very real danger in our time to proclaim a gospel that looks very much like the gospel but isn't the gospel at all. Uh, and, and in fact, the New Testament, there's considerable warnings about being on guard against false prophets or false teachers. Uh, there, there's very real um, instruction about clinging to the Word of God and not paying attention to the Word of man. Because Paul will say, we live in a time when, when men will want to hear what only their itching ears want to hear. Uh, and so they will listen to only sound teaching, te- not sound teaching, they will listen to only teaching that suits them. Uh, and so, and I think there, there's still much to be guarded about in our current day, especially when it comes to uh, the offer of the gospel that is more comfortable or offered less cheaply than it's presented in the Bible. Okay? You, you're with there? Maybe not? Okay, well, let me just keep talking and we'll hit a point eventually. Um, that, that, that any preaching that, that God owes you something in response for your faith is a false gospel. But here's the way we've packaged it. That, that what God really wants in your life is you to be healthy, wealthy, and always happy. Okay? Healthy, wealthy, always happy. Okay? The problem with that is that's not what the gospel is. Okay? What you get in the gospel, when you ask Jesus into your heart, what you get in the gospel is Jesus. You get a restored relationship with God. And what God says is that's more than enough for anything else you need in this world. You could take that moment and you could walk into the light of the gospel and then the rest of your days be incredibly painful but yet peaceful. And he says that's plenty. And what we have for sale too often in our world is what God really wants is in response to your faith and in response to your allegiance He will give you A, B, C, and D. It's a false gospel. What you get in the gospel of God, what you get in the good news of Jesus is a restored relationship with God to where you would celebrate joy that you have never experienced. And it doesn't matter at the end of that which house you're living in, which car you're driving, okay? Or if you die of cancer. Okay, because God is always, always good. And so I think we have to be aware of what we're trying to help people see when it comes to their greatest needs. And we need to be mindful when our actions and our words tell a different story than what... That, that looks a lot like life with God, but it's not. Let me tell you where, where this happens. Have you ever been in a season of life as a believer when things are hard and it's painful and you're wondering, what, what in the world is God doing? And then yet when somebody asks you, how's it going? Oh, it's good. It's good. And we know where that comes from? That comes from this part of you that's like, well, i got to protect the way people see God. i got to protect the way He's presented and there's nothing wrong. There's never anything wrong with him. Boy, it's rough. It's rough. I'm, I'm really struggling with whatever that is. But God is good. But God is good. He owes me nothing. He's given me everything. And so I think we have to be careful about 
the way we present the gospel and that we remain constantly true to the way it's presented in the Word. Now, how do you know that what you're presenting is true to the Word? Well, you read the Word. You delight in God's Word. You meditate on it. You hide it in your heart so that you might not sin against Him, as the psalmist would say. Uh, let's, let's keep going. Question number six. Two more. We come here in verses 16 through 24. And our question is this, okay? So as we read this, this is our question. It says, Am I more concerned with biblical minutia or, than I am with practical ministry? Okay? Am I more concerned with biblical minutia than I am practical ministry? He says this in verse 16, Woe to you, blind guides. Okay, so he's changed just a little bit, but he's going to get back to those hypocrites. Who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath, you blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! He came back, told you. For you tithe, pay attention to verse 23, it is powerful. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. And I feel like in that moment, Peter in the background is like, oh, you know. Um, thank you for getting that, Cameron. Um, all you other people are super spiritual and didn't get it. Um, so, so this is this is the question. And, and now, it's liable to be misunderstood. And so I want to make sure there's something I'm very clear. Because you can walk away from what we've just said here and the question we're asking and conclude that there are things in the Bible that are unimportant. Uh, and that, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, in fact, to be clear, everything in the Bible is important because it's God's Word. Uh, but, but there are, as Jesus will say, weightier matters. There are things that are more important. And Jesus reminds us this in verse 23. He says, uh, we need to avoid the danger of focusing our lives with these lighter matters uh, and ignoring the weightier ones. Uh, and so, so there's, there's two thoughts from this section. And, and the first woe will bring the first thought. Uh, is, is the question of, you know, are we, uh, do we justify sin according to our culture or do we uh, flee sin according to God's truth? Uh, because this is, this is what was happening. Jesus refers to taking oaths by the sanctuary and the gold of the sanctuary and the altar, and etc. Uh, and he's referring to these rules that all of a sudden were concocted to allow men to break their oaths, to break their promises. And so they would say, well, okay, I, I, know you, I know you bound yourself to an oath on the gold, but was it the altar or the gold? Because if it was one or the other, you could get out of this. Uh, and so it's, it's like a, a biblical way of, of making a promise, but you had your fingers crossed. That, that's, what, that's essentially what they created. Like, I wasn't really bound to it because I had my fingers crossed, so um, you can't be mad at me for not doing what I said I would do. And, and it became this way of justifying uh, sinful behavior. And this is, and what Jesus says here is that 
that when you enter an oath or you make a promise, you become accountable to God. In fact, there's, there's a phrasing in the Old Testament, be it ever so severely, if I break this up. May God strike me dead if I break my promise. And, and so we, we find um, that ultimately any oath or any promise we make, whether it be to God or to fellow man, we are bound to God who owns it all. This is what Jesus says. Like, okay, you're, you're trying to say um, there's certain gold. Is it the golden sanctuary? Is it this other gold? You know, which one is it? Because now you can get out of this business if you want. Jesus says, no, God owns it all. So don't, don't make promises. Don't try to justify certain actions in your life. And, and I think the same thing can happen in our lives when we think, you know, I, I suppose um, it, it's, what I'm doing is technically a sin, but the fingers are crossed. It's fine, you know. Everybody's doing it. It's just a, just a little thing, right? Just a little bit. It won't, it won't affect the whole batch. Just a little bit of it. And small things, right? They're not small things, by the way. Like gossip. Right? Like little white lies. It all says something about the testimony of our lives when we decide to live in that in that category and when we adjust sin because it's common to us instead of fleeing um, it's, it's repulsive to God and then, then the other thought is, is pondering the mistake that these men were making it's, it's pondering that if we pride ourselves on following convenient laws while uh, we spend ourselves um, instead of spending ourselves expressing costly love I, and now this is this is telling you, this is one of the most dangerous things to say in a suburban act church. It really is. That, 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 that Jesus mentions the law of the tithe. Uh, and he comes in and somebody's like, oh, well, I've done that. Alright, good to go, right? You ever you ever tithe and tell God to get off your back about how you spend the rest of your money? Um, just me. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and Jesus says, hey, listen, you guys are doing this. That's good. But you're celebrating that you're doing this smaller thing while you're ignoring these other major things, right? And so, so he comes in, he says, you, you've forsaken justice and mercy and faith. And it, it brings us back to the, um, the prophet Micah in the sixth chapter. Uh, and he comes out and, and God is telling his people, hey, I've told you what is good. I've told you what to do. I've told you to... to, to um, to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. I've told you those things. You don't have to wonder about it anymore. Okay? So if you're ever wondering, like, what does God want with my life? Well, that's it. He wants you to do those things. As you walk humbly with Him, the fruit that He produces in your life will lead you to justice and mercy. Okay? That's what he does. And so, so God's people had failed to give justice specifically in their culture to the poor. And they, they forgot to, well, they refused to express kindness to the needy. The people who most desperately needed the love of the church weren't allowed inside the doors of the church. And Jesus says, you think you're okay because you tithe. You think you're okay because you paid God off for your sinful behaviors and I'm telling you that's not the way it works. That, that This paints a stark picture of our society today. In fact, David Platt says it this way. In a world... Uh, in a world... I'm sorry. Um, in a world 
where nearly half of the population lives on less than $2 a day, and approximately a billion people live in desperate poverty, it doesn't make much sense to spend our lives priding ourselves on obeying, obeying convenient laws that are easy for us to do or debating minute truths that are easy for us to get hung up on when there is such great need to show justice and mercy not just in the world but in our cities. Not just in our cities but in our neighborhoods. In our kids' schools. In the people you sit in your office place with. Again, it's not that those convenient laws, he continues, it's not that those convenient laws like tithing are unimportant because Jesus says they are. In fact, he says, these things you should have done. But even weightier is the need to express mercy and justice, of, the mercy and justice of God to the poor and the needy. And that, that is a costly love. The question for us is whether or not we are willing to go out of our comfort zones and get our hands dirty in practical ministry. Or are we content to spend our lives mining through biblical details and doing uh, that which we find relatively easy? Uh, far too many professing Christians seem to have settled in this latter option. And that, that's, that's part of the struggle that we all, that tension we always feel here at Merge. I'm saying, okay, um, it, it's, it's a very consumeristic idea of going to church. That, that we believe and like Jesus would say, well, if you tithe, you're supporting the ministry. But really, what we're asking, we're not asking you to support the ministry. We're asking you to be part of that ministry. So we want you to adventure with God. And this is, this is one of the most beautiful things we've seen happening over the last couple of years. Uh, is we've had a lot, of, a lot less sign-up sheets of like, hey, guys, uh, we thought this would be great to do in our community. And we've said, hey, what is God telling you to do in your community? Then let's go do that. Let's go partner with you as you adventure with Him in that. And so for some, that just means, hey, I have a family that I need to help. And so we say, okay, let's, let's help them. Hey, I have this, this organization that I believe God is having me start. Then let's go help get that started. I have a career that, that God is telling me to transfer out of. Well, let's go help you walk in that, in that lane. And the danger is just letting you know come in here on Sundays and you tithe and you leave and the glory of God goes nowhere else than this room. It's a dangerous place to be. But we can sell it. We can sell it. I'm just going to edit about 18 other things I was about to say because Cowboys kick off a meeting and you guys are going to be upset. So your life, your life is a ministry. It really is. Your life as a ministry is what I love about the church is we are a collection of priests and saints in Christ. We just come together. So your life is a ministry. It's a testament of God's goodness that everyone would see and respond. Not, not just those moments when you're wearing a church t-shirt and on the back of it it says volunteer. Okay? So question 7. It's found exploring verses 25 through 28. It says this, what do you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? Oh, man, this one's hard. I'm just going to tell you. If you want to sneak out right now, go ahead and do it. Will you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside it's full of greed and self-indulgence. 
you blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So our question is this. This is a hard one. Am I more focused on outward cleanliness instead of inward holiness? Am I more focused on outward cleanliness instead of inward holiness? Do I spend more time trying to make myself look more like a Christ follower than from my heart actually being one? Do I spend more time putting on an appearance of, hey, everything is good, everything is nice and shiny, but on the inside, it's just rotten. Throughout the book of Matthew, the tendency of the scribes and the Pharisees has been to observe principles and practices on the outside while neglecting humility and impurity on the inside. And Jesus reminds them through uh, this fierce denunciation uh, that, that purity begins in the heart always. He's like, you got to spend so much time cleaning the outside. But what's happening is the more you clean the outside, the more the, the bowl uh, gets messed up, and what's inside is spilling out. It will always overflow, and it will constantly uh, mess up all of it. So he says you got to start from the inside. He will always say that when you're trying to deal with anything externally, you have to examine the heart. You have to examine what's resting in there. We need to be reminded as, as followers of Christ that religion is a subtly dangerous cover-up for deadness. It really is. Because you can look the part and everyone can celebrate how good-looking you are. Not that that's ever been the case. And you can even deceive yourself into thinking everything's okay. Platt goes on. He says this. He says, we go to church... We attend small groups, we, we read the Bible, we go through the motions, we check off the boxes, but if we're not careful, we can miss the point altogether. That in all of our efforts at moral renewal, we only cover up the curse of sin that lies at the core of who we are. That's why we must ask ourselves probing questions. Is there life inside me? Is there inner transformation? Is my heart being changed so that I would desire Christ more than I desire the things of the world? Is there love and affection for Christ at the root of my obedience? Is Christianity a matter of duty for me, or is it a matter of delight? Is holiness being joyfully cultivated in my heart? Am I pursuing holiness to a point that I desire it more than anything else in this world? Because I know that as my holiness grows, my intimacy with the Father grows. And the answer to these questions was a clear no in the case of the scribes and the Pharisees. So, so our last ten verses is going to reveal a lot about us and the heart that Jesus has for us. So, so let me just read them and then we'll try to get out of the way. This is his last woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and you decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the day of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding, uh, in shedding the blood of the prophets. Verse thirty-one. Thus, 
you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murder the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. That's, that's not a fun endorsement from Jesus. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the sons of Barakia, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. That's a very specific indictment from Jesus. Okay, very specific. He says, this is the product of the labor you've been putting out. This is what's happening. And then he'll, he'll say this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. He says, see, your house has left you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Okay, so, so then we're going to transition next week. Jesus is going to start talking about some things that will happen as he brings his kingdom a second time. Uh, but, but Jesus refers here to the tombs of the prophets. And, and these, were, these were monuments, literally monuments that were erected to these great prophets of Israel. Uh, as if to imply that the present generation would have never done what the previous generation did. They looked and they're like, no, 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 no. We would have seen them for who they were presented to be. We would have honored them instead of murdering them. We wouldn't have flogged them. We wouldn't have ran them out of town. We would have honored them the way that they were to be honored. And, and Jesus is sitting there and He's standing in their presence and he's like, you're just like they are. Because you are just as they are. And he says that, that in essence, the scribes and the Pharisees have murdered God's messengers. And they're going to prove in the coming chapters just how true this statement is. Because Jesus will ascend and the gospel, uh, the Holy Spirit will descend at Pentecost. And the church will take off. And the Jewish leadership will fight it. And they will persecute him. And there's a man named Saul from Tarsus who eventually becomes the Apostle Paul. But before he is Paul, as we revere, he was Saul that we would have been in terror of. And he went from town to town murdering Christians. But yet they stand very pious in this moment and they build these monuments and they say, oh, we would have never done that, okay? So, so what does that mean for us, right? Well, it means this. That we would look at the Pharisees today, we would read the Pharisees and we would say, that's not us. We would have never done that. Never. And the God's honest truth is, we are them. We are them. We, we just start laughing at that I think it's, it's easy to read these condemnations from Jesus and shake our heads at the scribes and the Pharisees. However, the, the questions that we've raised in this chapter, uh, as, as you might have gathered, they're not very foreign to us, right? The, the same issues that they were dealing with, we deal with right now. 
I don't know if you've found yourself in these seven questions that we've asked these last two weeks, if you've found yourself guilty of any of them, but this, this was pharisaical living. This was very religious. And we, as we come to the climax of this condemnation, we, we come face to face with this frightening conclusion that we are not so different from these people as we like to admit. That, that, that we too have hearts that, that would murder the Messiah. We too have thoughts that would cower down for the approval of man. And I think to think anything different is to flatter ourselves in the same way described in the Pharisees' day. Because if you're like, no, bag, that, that's not me. That's not me. I, I wouldn't do that. I would just challenge you to be careful. John Stott put it this way. He said, he said, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, leading us to faith and to worship, we have to see it as something done by us, leading us to repentance. So what, what does that mean? It means that your sin, your sin led Christ to the cross. And this is the great, this is the best news of the gospel. This is why we don't have to live hypocritically. Because yes, before you came to Christ, your uh, temptation, your, your life was hostile to God. That's, that's what Paul tells us. That your transgression has kept, kept you bound in sin that leads to death. That, that is the truth. That apart from Christ, you could play a game where you look very religious, but you would still be very dead. This was the Pharisees. Okay? Again, we would have celebrated them. We'd have given them a nice seat. I think here it'd have been like in the back row or against the wall. You know, those are the best, the seats of honor. But that we we have all rebelled against God. We've all rejected Him outright. But the good news of the gospel is that He has pursued us, and He's made a way back to Him. Very clearly, we believe that's through Jesus. Not because we came up with that idea, but because He has. And this is great news for me because, because before Christ, the indictment and condemnation rested over my life and I was without hope, without a way. And so were you. And, and you can hear, you can hear at the end of this passage the, the plea of Jesus, right? says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that, that how often I wanted to gather your children together, right? As, as a chicken. Under the wing, gather the, the brood together. But you are not willing. And I think you can hear just the patient and the merciful plea of Jesus that salvation is possible for those who come to Him. So don't resist Him. There's no need to resist Him. That, that we can come to Jesus today in repentance and in faith, and you will, by the grace of God, be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And you don't have to be anything else other than just a child of God. You don't have to do anything else to, to earn that approval, to, to earn that love. He says, I give that to you in Jesus. 
that you can live purely while pursuing a holiness and your testimony won't be woe to you, hypocrite. What a dangerous place, right? That it will be a testimony of a life of substance, a life of adventure, and it will be peace in being known by Jesus and being loved by God. So here's, I encourage you to keep asking those questions. That you would, you would explore your heart. That you would identify in some ways that the Holy Spirit would say, hey, you know, you don't think you look like a hypocrite, but you are being one. You don't think you look like a Pharisee, but boy, you're wearing the badge to lead Pharisee. And that would lead you to repentance so that you can experience joy and peace and purpose. Our desire this week is to love God, bye. Please stand with me. We wrap up. We want to make a couple things available to you. If you need prayer today, we want to pray with you. The Hansons and Mark will be over here. They'd like to... Oh, no, that's not good. They want to pray with you. Maybe you never asked Jesus in your heart. We believe today is the best day to do that. Maybe you just want to take some time and thank Jesus for His sacrifice on the cross to communion. You're welcome to do that in the back. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You that in Your Word You're not willing to just let us create a Jesus that is very soft that you don't present a Jesus who is desperate for our approval or for our popularity. We thank you that he comes in the truth of your word. And he says hard things so that we can know the best ways to live. Father, I pray you would break our hearts in any way where we pursue religion over the gospel. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.